0: In the incarnation, man didn't become God, God became man. Also, this is known as the great condescension. Uh, Coming down to our level is what God did. Or as John Calvin said, in so doing, God accommodated us. Uh, As we look at the incarnation, we can go clear back to the Old Testament where we'll see some Appearances of Jesus which kind of foreshadow the incarnation. Uh, These are known as Christophany or uh, any place where uh, every theophany where God takes on human form foreshadows the incarnation. Where God took on the form of a man to live among us as Emmanuel which is translated God is with us. Uh, We see a Christophany to Abraham uh, in Genesis 14, 18, when a king named Melchizedek appears before, um, uh, before Abram. And it says that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. That is, Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. Uh, Hebrews has a bit of a commentary on this. In chapter 7, maybe you were here for the Hebrews study this summer. Uh, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God... Who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises." Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek uh, met him. So uh, tune in to calvarychapel.com or calvarycookcounty.com. And listen to the study from uh, Hebrews chapter seven for in-depth look at Melchizedek. But if you just go through a lot of those descriptions of Melchizedek, you'll see you'll see Jesus. All right, um, there. Uh, we see in Genesis twenty-two eleven through eighteen, we see an appearance to Abraham again. But in Genesis sixteen seven, uh, we see the messenger of the Lord again. Now. Uh, this is says angel of the Lord, um, or it could be translated messenger of the Lord, um, and so uh, don't let that confuse you. Uh, but Genesis sixteen seven says, now the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? Where are you come from, Cotton Eye Joey? Oh no, nothing like that. Okay, anyways, um, (laughs) she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. She said, uh, or the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? So do you catch that? As you're reading the context of it, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, as it was the messenger of the Lord. It was the Lord that was speaking to her, and she called the place, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Uh, Let me uh, uh, read this footnote down here. The precise identity of the angel of the Lord is not given in the Bible. However, there are many important clues to his identity, There are Old and New Testament references to angels of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord. It seems when the definite article, the, is used... You liking that, Leandra? No? What is with you people tonight? (laughs) You people? Okay. It seems when the definite article, the, is used, it is specifying a unique being, separate from all the other angels. The angel of the Lord speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and exercises the responsibilities of God, and a lot of references there in several of these appearances, those who saw the angel of the Lord fear for their lives because they had seen the Lord. Therefore it is clear that in at least some instances, the angel of the Lord is a theophany, an appearance of God in physical form. We see it uh, uh, to Joshua in Joshua five thirteen through fifteen came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So some believe that that is uh, Jesus appearing to Joshua there as commander of the army of the Lord. Uh, to Gideon, in Judges 6, 11 through 16, uh, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was by uh, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then finally, quickly here, uh, this is an example. Fighting on behalf of Israel, Second Kings 19.35, it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Uh, We have prophecy of uh, the incarnation in that uh, we have the prophecy of the birth foretold. Uh, First of all, the virgin birth. Um, It's technically better to identify this as virgin conception. Okay? Okay. Since the miracle implies to the conception only, the actual birth was a normal event. Uh, Prophecies concerning uh, a woman. In Genesis 3.15, this is the the proto-evangelion, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God promises that this seed will be born of a woman. This is unusual because the rest of scripture speaks as children of being born from their father. Here, no father is mentioned of Jesus, which implies that he would not have a biological earthly father. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, we have that he would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, okay? Uh, So virgin birth was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Bethlehem, it was prophesied his place of birth in Micah 5.2, which is also quoted in Matthew chapter 1. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Uh, his birth, birth was prophesied to be before the destruction of the temple. In Malachi 3 1, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Uh, it's important because he had to have come before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So these are just a few of the prophecies concerning Jesus, and uh, I wish that I had it uploaded right now because if you Looked at all the prophecies of the Messiah, and uh, you looked at Jesus and how he fulfilled um, those prophecies in the way that he has just so far. Uh, I think one statistic is like if you were to fill the whole state of Texas with silver dollars one foot high and mark one of them red, and you'd be able to just go down and find that one, the odds of doing that are the same as Jesus and having just fulfilled, I think, just 40 of the prophecies i think something along those lines but um uh so if it's not jesus then who is it a man named Jacob newsner has often been called the leading <laughs> scholar in judaism he's very widely regarded and respected um and he's not a christian but he wrote a book called the incarnation of god where he says the old testament does speak of god coming in the flesh as a human being in human history. Not a worshiper of Jesus, he's an Orthodox Jew. When asked about the implications, he admits, this does crack the door for belief in Jesus as the one everybody was waiting for. He also says that many rabbis agree that it did teach that God was coming in human history as a man. So, uh, interesting affirmation. (laughs) Uh, It's affirmation in the Gospels. The virgin birth is only mentioned in matthew and luke some believe this shows it is unimportant or possibly untrue yet when it does occur the authors go to special lengths to maintain the doctrine in matthew's gospel you've got in 116 jacob was the father of joseph the husband of mary by whom jesus was born who is called the messiah um Remember, notice the feminine pronoun. It's speaking really of Mary there. Um, Matthew one twenty: For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In verse twenty three, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In twenty five, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. In Luke one twenty six and 30, through thirty five, the announcement of Mary. And the process of the conception is mentioned, uh, and specifically in verses 31 and 35, shows us how Jesus was conceived. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Um, I believe the Muslims and the Mormons both believed that God had sex with Mary. Um, and uh, it's not, not the case. Uh, verse, uh, Chapter 3, verse 23 of Luke, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. It was supposed he was the son of Joseph, but it wasn't the son of Joseph. It was the son of God. The theological significance here of the virgin birth. Uh, It's relevant to our culture today, as we see when Larry King was asked who in all of history he would most like to interview, he said, anybody do a good Larry King impression here? Anyone have emphysema or (laughs) hold a microphone to their throat? Um, He said, Jesus Christ. When asked why, he said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Harry Emerson Fosdick, an influential pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, said, I do not believe in the virgin birth, and I hope that none of you do. Um, By the way, influential pastor, okay? Uh, Bishop Joseph Sprague from the United Methodist Church called the virgin birth a myth. Episcopalian Bishop John Sponge said, in time the virgin birth account will join Adam and Eve in the story of the cosmic ascension uh, as clearly recognized mythical elements in our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event. Thomas Jefferson in a letter to John Adams said the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Think we're there yet? (laughs) Pretty close to it. Theologian Rabin Brown called the virgin birth folkloric. Popular emergent pastor Rob Bell in his book Velvet Elvis says, if Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry and archeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA sample, uh, do a DNA sample and DNA proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit bit of mythologizing the gospel writers uh, threw in to appeal to the followers of the Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were uh, hugely popular at that time. We would essentially not lose any significant part of our faith because it is more about how we live. To be fair, Bell doesn't deny the virgin conception, but he denies it's important and that it should not shake us. The virgin birth is like one of a hundred springs in a trampoline that if removed would not rend the trampoline useless. It is but one brick in an entire brick wall that if removed, the wall would not crumble." Uh, and this is, I mean, maybe some of you went to a church that they were reading Rob Bell books in uh, in their Bible study times, all right? And this is the church that Lindsay and I are from. Um, so th- these are guys that are well respected in the Christian community. And um, it really goes back to our first study we did, and there's a reason it was our first study the scripture, its inspiration, its inerrancy, its canonicity, its authority. It comes down to those things so that everything else bows the knee to the authority of the word, not vice versa. Charles Spurgeon said the greatest and most momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth. From these passages, it is certainly clear that Jesus' birth Uh, was the result of the Holy Spirit working within Mary's womb. Passages that we read before uh, from Luke. The immaterial, the spirit, and the material, Mary's womb, were both involved. Mary, of course, could not impregnate herself, and in that sense, she was simply a vessel. Only God could perform the miracle of the incarnation. However, denying a physical connection between Mary and Jesus would imply that Jesus was not truly human. Scriptures teaches us that Jesus was fully human with a physical body like ours. This is something he received from Mary. At the same time, Jesus was fully God with an eternal, sinless nature. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. I like to rephrase the first part of that verse without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery that God became flesh. You know, people try to dismiss it because it, it boggles the mind. Witnessing to Jehovah's Witness in Costco parking lot a few weeks ago, and uh, explaining the Trinity, she goes. Now, doesn't that just seem a little bit hard to believe, you know? And so because it was hard to believe, that it was something that just couldn't be true. And it uh, doesn't make something truth or not, right? Uh, it's a mystery. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all these things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Uh, Hebrews chapter two is about God being greater than the angels or Jesus being greater than the angels because he became flesh. He's able to sympathize with men in a way that no angel ever has. Um, Jesus was not born in sin, that is, he had no sin nature. Hebrews 7.26, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Uh, the birth of Jesus is spoken of in Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we see there would be a man born who had the name Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Wonderful Counselor. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um it's a good question. I would say, um, Father of the faith is where I would go with that. Um, father of kind of the firstborn might be another term to be used. Firstborn, first ranked, kind of. But um, something that I, I'd, I'd probably look up. But that's just where um, my mind goes right away. Um, remind me about that maybe we could look it up together yeah there's unity there we're going to get there in a second um and it actually jesus is going to say the words i in him and him in me okay and it speaks of the unity it backs that up but um so it it, it's there's distinction and yet unity you know but sure Of think of our founding fathers, you know, in our country. Um, Luke 2 6 and 7, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought, by the way, great question. And guys, don't let questions like that go away. I might not know them all, but we can look them up. And <laughs> we live in the information age, so we can look it up quick, even if you have a paper Bible there, like Stephanie. Um was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's important, the detail that's given in these accounts um, because there's just so many strange and false things out there about who Jesus is and how things went down. Praise God, it's all written down for a reason. Uh, what scripture does not teach us about the virgin birth um, that Mary did not have a normal delivery. Uh, Micah 5.3 references just like a normal delivery. Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life. Um, who is it that, that teaches that? Um, the, Catholics. the Catholics believe that? Yeah, perpetual virgin. Um, and uh, Matthew one twenty five touches on that. We've already read it tonight. What's that? <laughs> Forever, yeah, uh, because you know Matthew: 125 speaks to it, um, and not to mention as if sex within marriage is unholy. Um, the virgin birth was a myth from other religions, but Isaiah 7:14 was before Greek, Greek mythology, nor does it speak of God having sex with women, uh, as the Greeks did. Virgin birth does not prove uh, the deity. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in the virgin birth, but that it was Michael. Muslims believe in the virgin birth, but not in Jesus' deity. Sin passes only through the male line. Um, Women aren't more holy than men. Virgin birth does not teach that Mary had sex with God. That comes from Mormon theology. Um, And also, even after the conception, she's known as the virgin. Virgin. Virgin birth is unimportant. Scripture doesn't teach that. <laughs> um, moving to the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union, a great name for a band if you ever start one. <laughs> I always thought it would be, we're the hypostatic union and we're in a rockier world. Okay, okay. <laughs> hypostatic union is a phrase given to us uh, from the Caledonian Cree. In 1452, it was the term used to describe how God the Son Jesus Christ took on a human nature, yet remained fully God at the same time. Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's a bit of a mystery to our finite minds that Jesus can be fully 100% God and 100% man. And so, as often is the case, when our minds get a little bit boggled, we begin to make up strange devices and kind of water things down a little so that it'll be palatable for us. Uh, So that brings false views, and I want to give you a few false views of the hypostatic union. Number one is called docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. The view that Jesus was God, but not human. Dositheus essentially taught that Jesus only appeared to be human, but he in fact was not human. Second false view: Apollinarianism. Okay, I, there's a reason there's blanks here. One thing it keeps you following along. Secondly, you just get a chance to think about a, a theological word for a second and spell it out. You might never think about it again, but it, you know it'll help put it in your mind a little bit. Apollinarianism, A P O L L I N A R. What's that? Oh, it's right underneath it. Oh, cheater. To the right, to the right. Everything you own in the box, to the right. Okay. Apollinarianism is the view that Jesus was God, but not fully human. Apollinarianism was the heresy taught by Apollinarius, the younger bishop of Laodicea in Syria, about 361. What do we know about Laodicea? It's the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation. Um, It's about 361. He taught... That the logos of God, which became the divine nature of Christ, took the place of the rational human soul of Jesus, and that the body of Christ was a glorified form of human nature. In other words, though Jesus was a man, he did not have a human mind, but the mind of Christ was only divine. Apollinarians taught that the two natures of Christ could not coexist as one person. His solution was to lessen the human nature of Christ. Uh, Apollinarians taught that Jesus' human mind was replaced by a divine mind. That Jesus had a human body and soul, but not a human mind. Okay, um, Apollinarianism, and this is just in my notes, I updated it a little today, Apollinarianism was condemned by the Second General Council at Constantinople in 381. Uh, This uh, heresy denies the true and complete humanity in the person of Jesus, which in turn can jeopardize the value of the atonement, since Jesus is declared to be both God and man to atone. He needed to be God to offer a pure and holy sacrifice of sufficient value, and he needed to be a man in order to die for men. Uh, these ideas are refuted by many scriptures that teach that Jesus is truly a human being. Um, a couple of them are there, but we're going to get into them later. Uh, third false view about the hypostatic union is called ebianism. Ebionism. E B I O N ism. ISM. The view that Jesus was fully human but not divine. It's kind of the opposite of those other ones. Ebionites denied the deity of Christ. Ebionism viewed Jesus as a normal human being who is simply empowered by God. Ebionism is rejected by a multitude of scriptures in the deity of Jesus portion of the study uh, that we're doing tonight. Uh, Similar doctrine is found in the word of faith movements and can actually be tracked to some of Bill Johnson's followers, from Bethel, which is a very popular movement right now, um, and so uh, you just got to be cautious in what we're what we're following. Um, furthermore, Ebionism says that Jesus has uh, was adopted by God the Father in order to be called the Son of God. This view is false due to these following scriptures, John 1, 1, 114, Colossians 2, 9. Uh, that's not on your notes, is it? Okay, well, we're going to get into him anyways, so Uh, Fourth false view of the hypostatic union is called Eutychianism. Eutychianism. That's also in your notes right there. Eutychianism is the view that Jesus was neither fully human nor fully divine, but rather a mixture of humanity and divinity. Eutychianism is refuted by all of the scriptures previously mentioned Both affirming his deity and affirming his humanity. And there are also scriptures we're going to go through tonight. Fifth is Nestorianism. Nestorianism, it's on the last line of number five here. Nestorianism held that Jesus had two natures. A human nature and a divine nature. And that the two natures were entirely separate. Jesus was God, and Jesus was man, but essentially two separate persons. From what we've studied in relation to the other views, Nestorianism is to be strongly rejected as well. Sixth and last, Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. Gnostics, with an S at the end, believe that all matter was inherently evil. Therefore, God could not become a man. Therefore, Jesus was just a spirit upon the earth, walking upon the sand, but making no footprints. Gnosticism was a cult refuted in the early church. First John was written in a response to Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism has forms in modern days, Jehovah's Witness. Ism. <laughs> All of these should be rejected as non biblical views. Docetism and Apollinarianism deny Jesus' true humanity. Ebionism denies Jesus' true deity. Eudichanism denies both Jesus' true humanity and true deity. Having you write humanity and deity a lot, just so that you know it's important, okay? Nestorianism misunderstands the relationship between Jesus' humanity and deity. So the scriptures teach that Jesus is fully God. John's gospel has the theme that Jesus is God. That's the theme of the book. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word word here, if I may, is logos. L-O-G-O-S. Logos' definition in a theological dictionary is this. Something said, including the thought, by implication, a topic, subject of discourse, also, reasoning or motive. By extension, a computation. Specifically, with the article in John. And then I underline this. The divine expression. That is, Christ. In the beginning was the divine expression. Alright? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with Theos, and the word was Theos. 1 John 1.1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. So John was about the word, and Jesus being the word. And John writes in Revelation 19.13, he's the revelator there, and he sees Jesus coming back for his second coming. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And John's Gospel tells us, and the Word was God. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses change things up here. Uh, We might watch a video uh, next week uh, that um, is, is... Pretty good. Talks a lot about Jehovah's Witnesses. Maybe I can find a better one. This one's, it's really good. It's lacking a little bit of love. And so <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of the turnoff on it. But uh, Jehovah's Witnesses' new world translation has switched it just enough to remove the power from John 1.1. 1, 1. And here's what they did. They said, and the word was, and they add a word, a, and the word was a God. The New World Translation has added the word a to the verse, so it says, and the word was a God. The correct translation of this verse is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is how it's rendered in the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the ASV, the RSV, and many others. And if you go back to our translation study that we did, you know the accurate translations and that it all goes down to the original manuscript. We want to look at the original manuscripts. Let's pull apart John one, 1 just a little bit. In beginning was... The, this is literal, by the way. This is how it's read in the original. In... Beginning was the word. logos. Okay? That's probably a horrible pronunciation of it. (laughs) This is a very simple statement that the word was in the beginning. Is this in your notes? Okay, sorry. This is some new, new studying that I did since I printed it out. Since Nikki printed it out tonight. Sorry. Give credit where credit is due. Okay? So, in beginning was the word. Simple statement, just telling us the word was in the beginning, okay? And the word was with God. Kai ho logos and pros ton theon. The same word that was in the beginning was with God. And God was the word. That's the literal translation. And God was the word. Properly translated to us, and the word was God. Kytheos en ho logos, okay? The same word was God, okay? Verse two tells us, he was in the beginning with God. In John 17, 15, Jesus says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you, Jesus says, before the world was, So, Jesus had a history of glory with the Father. On top of that, we can take the Jehovah's Witnesses to verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is God. He is creator. He created. Colossians 1 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now, witnessing to the Jehovah's Witness the other day, she said that Jesus was an angel who had been given special privilege and power by God to be a creator like God. Now, a problem is many things, and then, She had the audacity to say, you should read Colossians 1. And I said, I was just going to take you to Colossians 1. okay?" Because they take uh, the word firstborn here to mean that he was born, he was created. But it means more than firstborn. It's rightly translated first ranked. Like a firstborn son is first ranked. And that's what it's speaking of here. He's first ranked over all creation, not the first created over all created things. And it says here in Colossians 1 that he created everything that's ever been created. Jesus did. What about the angels that they say he was an angel? Well, he, what the, okay, he wasn't created. Jesus wasn't a created being. John, or the word image here, he is the image of the invisible God. It's the Greek word icon or icon. It means a likeness. That is literally a statue, a profile, or figuratively a representation or a resemblance. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or first ranked over all creation. If you go back to John 1:10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I'm said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. We know who... John said this of, and it's Jesus. Now, Jesus claimed to be God as well, and many of the cults will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. This also came up in my time with the Jehovah's Witness in the Costco parking lot, and let's look at what Jesus claimed to be as we look at John 5.18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. There's a judge in New York, Judge Gaynor, and he said, it is plain from each of the gospel narratives that the alleged crime for which Jesus was tried and convicted was blasphemy. In John ten thirty, and then in 37 and 38, he says, I and my father are one. Verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. This is reiterating the statement of oneness with the father from verse 30. But in 39, he says, therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying when he was saying these unity statements he's saying i am god and so they sought to kill him for it in john 14:7 through 10 if you had known me you would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him philip said to him lord show us the father and it'll be sufficient for us and jesus said to him have i been with you so long and yet you've not known me philip he who has seen me has seen the father so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. John 14, 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the work themselves. Matthew 27, 43 he trusted in God let him deliver him now if he will have him for he said I am the son of God. In John 17:11 Now I am no longer in the world but these are in the world and I come to you holy Father keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one just as we are. In John 8:56 your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. In John ten thirty two. Jesus answered them Many good works I have shown you from my Father for which of those works do you stone me The Jews answered him saying For a good work we do not stone you but for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself God Jesus never claimed to be God <laughs> All righty then Other men's claims about who Jesus is We have the centurion in Matthew 27:54 so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. The disciples and the apostles had claims. In John 20, 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. In the Greek here of this passage, Thomas says, mau kai mau, which is literally translated, the Lord of me and the God of me. If Jesus was not God, but a God, lowercase g, also considered a judge of some sort, then shouldn't Jesus have corrected Thomas here for such a literal statement? Shouldn't Jesus have said, No, Thomas, I am not the God, I am a God. But Jesus did not. To do so would have been ludicrous. Nevertheless, the Jehovah's Witnesses will say that Thomas was so stunned by Jesus' appearance that he swore, he cursed. This is ridiculous because it means that Thomas, a devout man of God, swore in front of Jesus and used the Lord's name in vain in violation of Exodus 27. This is hardly the case since we find no New Testament equivalent of a disciple of Christ using God's name in vain. The apostles claimed that Jesus had the right to forgive sins. This shows his deity. It's something that only God can do, as it is God who is offended by sin. When we look at Luke 5, 20 through 24, it says, when he saw their faith, he said to them, remember, uh, this is the friends that lowered their buddy down through the roof when he was uh, a paraplegic, quadriplegic, paralytic, you know what I'm saying, uh, When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. You guys understand that question? Which is easier? To, to say someone who's laying on the ground in front of you, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or is it easier to say, rise up and walk? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Anybody can say that, right? Oh, yes, your sins are forgiven you, okay? But he says, to prove that I can say your sins are forgiven you. Who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? To prove that I can say your sins are forgiven you, I'm also going to say the harder thing, get up and walk. And immediately the guy got up and walked. That passage there shows the deity of Jesus and that Jesus was calling himself God, the forgiver of sins. In close connection with this last claim, Jesus also said to be the one who will judge the living and the dead. In 2 Timothy 4 one, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Paul calls Jesus great God and Savior. It's interesting because in witnessing to the Jehovah's Witness, this was just great. <laughs> it was the day after we taught on the Trinity. It was interesting how she claimed to have the historical backing on her side by saying things like, oh, it's just so interesting how Christianity has morphed out this um, doctrine of the Trinity and has developed this doctrine of Jesus being God. And, uh, and I said, do you know your history? Because your church actually has only been around the last 120 years or so, 140 years And all of the councils show us that the apostles' claims are backed up, that Jesus is God, there's a trinity. Uh, It's you who have the newborn religion, the newborn faith. And Paul himself, the apostles, as Ephesians says that Christianity was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation apostles said, Jesus is our great God and Savior. Paul also pointed out that Prior to his incarnation, Jesus existed in the form of God. Philippians 2, 5-8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't a thing of, of stealing for him to claim to be God, because he was God. He wasn't stealing anything. But he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He's in the form of God. The word form means the nature, the visible form of God. Jesus was a missionary, and he sends us to be missionaries in culture. Isaiah 6, 8, I also heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Jesus was on a throne, and he came off his throne, and he humbled himself. He went from one culture to another, from glory to humility, from a throne to a manger, from honor to dishonor, from extravagance to depravity. One false teaching says that when Jesus, as it says, made himself of no reputation, as one English translation says, he emptied himself. They would say that Jesus emptied himself of deity. All right? Uh, he didn't empty himself of deity. The context of Philippians 2 is humility and that he laid aside the rights and the privileges of deity. And he calls us to lay down our rights and privileges as well for the good of the other. Hebrews 1 8, uh, I was kicking myself after my opportunity at Costco for not going to Hebrews eight because I remember in my school of ministry class, Chris Cross uh, was up front pretending to be a Jehovah's Witness, and, uh, and he called me out, and he said, tell me why I should believe from the Bible that Jesus is God, and I was like, <laughs> and my pastor, my youth pastor, turns around, and he goes, Hebrews eight. Go to Hebrews 1. Just go to Hebrews 1. And so for the last 13 years, I've been like, Hebrews 1. Go to Hebrews 1. Go to John 1. Go to Hebrews 1. Great passages here. But uh, in Hebrews 1 8, it says, We have God the Father saying regarding Jesus, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Your throne, O God. God calls Jesus God. The examples in scriptures that teach the deity of Christ are many. Even one of these is enough to know that to show that Jesus Christ was considered to be God by his followers. Revelation one seventeen, John the Revelator says, When I saw him I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Revelation two eight to the angel in the church of Smyrna write these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Revelation 22, 13, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. These are deity statements from Jesus. Jesus is the rock of the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, all drank of the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Or 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8, therefore it's also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame therefore to you who believe he is precious but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed Psalm eighteen two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Uh, <clears throat> for the sake of time, Jesus is called the chief shepherd in First Peter five four and Hebrews thirteen two. He has godly titles given to him, titles that are unique to Yahweh, a formal name of God in the Old Testament. He's called the Redeemer. Redeemer is a title unique to Yahweh. He's called Emmanuel in Matthew 1. He's called God is with us there, Emmanuel. He's called Yahweh. In Zechariah 12.10, it is Yahweh who says, They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced. But the New Testament applies this to Jesus' crucifixion. If it is Yahweh who is pierced and looked upon, and Jesus was the one pierced and looked upon, then our conclusion should be that Jesus is Yahweh. All will bow down to Jesus' name, Isaiah forty five twenty two through 33 Every knee will bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Paul interprets Isaiah 45, 22-23 as applying to Jesus and uses it for Jesus in Philippians two ten through 11 Jesus' name is used alongside God's in prayer. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The baptismal formula, you might remember this from the Trinity study, the name of Jesus appears with God's in Jesus' command to baptize and the name, there's a singular name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19 Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen is another great Trinitarian statement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. There are actions that can be accomplished only by God that are credited to Jesus. Raising the dead, forgiving sins, creating and sustaining the universe. This becomes even clearer when one considers Yahweh said he was alone during creation. Jesus has godly attributes, attributes that only deity can have. Number one, eternality. Eternality. And that's what he was saying when he said in John eight fifty eight, I am, before Abraham was I am. I'm the first, I'm the last. Eternality omnipresence. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's omnipresent. No angel can be omnipresent. He's omniscient. This means all-knowing. From the time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and raised on the third day. Speaking forth knowledge of the previous events there. He's omnipotent. Omnipotence. He's all powerful. He showed himself and proved himself to be God through many infallible proofs, showing that he raised from the dead. Remember, that was the sign, the sign of Jonah, that he would rise from the dead. Some of Jesus' miracles include turning water into wine, walking on water, multiplying physical objects, healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the sick, raising people from the dead. His own resurrection proves that he's God. There are at least 12 historical facts about Jesus that even non-Christian critical scholars will admit. They'll admit Jesus died by crucifixion, or that he was buried, or that his death caused the disciples to despair and lose hope. That Jesus' tomb was discovered or claimed to be discovered to be empty a few days later. The disciples believed they experienced appearances of the risen Jesus. After this, the disciples were transformed from doubters into bold believers. This message was the center of preaching in the early church. This message was preached in Jerusalem. As a result of this preaching, the church was born and it grew. Resurrection Day, Sunday, replaced the Sabbath, Saturday, as the primary day of worship. James, a skeptic, was converted. This is Jesus' own brother who was a skeptic. was converted when he believed and saw the resurrected Jesus. Paul, an enemy of Christianity, was converted by an experience which he believed to be the appearance of the risen Jesus. So these are just critical scholars will believe that at least one of these things would be true has happened. Even if someone were to object to this specific list, only a few are needed to prove the resurrection and establish the gospel: Jesus' death, burial, resurrection and appearances. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, "That's the gospel." While there may be some theories to explain one or two of the above facts, only the resurrection explains and accounts for them all. Critics admit that the disciples claimed that they saw the risen Jesus. Neither lies nor hallucinations can transform people the way that the resurrection did. First, what would they have to gain? Christianity was not popular, and it certainly did not make them any money. Second, liars do not make good martyrs. And there's no better explanation than the resurrection for the disciples' willingness to die horrible deaths for their faith. Yes, many people die for lies that they think are true, but people do not die for what they know is untrue. The conclusion to Jesus' deity. Christ claimed he was Yahweh, that he was deity. Not just a God, but the one true God. His followers... They were were Jews who were terrified of idolatry. They believed him and they referred to him as God. Christ proved his claims to deity through miracles, including the world-altering resurrection. No other hypothesis can explain these facts. Yes, the deity of Christ is biblical. Quickly go through the humanity of Jesus, okay? Okay. Uh, incarnation much of the modern discussion about the nature of christ concerns his deity yet the early church was careful to emphasize the humanity of christ because of certain false ideas the apostle john seems specifically to address and refute the doctrine of docetism and gnosticism in first john incarnation let's define it incarnation means in the flesh we think of carne and how it means meat, chili con carne. The word incarnation literally means in the flesh. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God clothed himself in flesh. Will you pass out some of those things? Wake us up a little bit. Everyone needs a cupcake before we plow through these last six minutes. Drinking through the fire hydrant hose right now, guys. You're going to get a little wet. As John's gospel has the primary theme that Jesus is God, Luke's gospel has the primary theme Jesus is man. And how fitting that it was written by a physician. You'll notice in Luke's gospel that he goes to great lengths to show as a physician that Jesus really was in flesh. Okay? In fact, in uh, church history, whenever um, there would be seals set to the gospel... Matthew's gospel, which was about Jesus being king to the Jews, would have a lion as its seal. All right. Mark's gospel, which was written to the Romans, that showed Jesus as a servant, uh, a servant leader, had a, a bull, uh, a beast of burden. Luke's gospel, Jesus' man, written by a physician, was sealed with the image of a man. And John's gospel, the proof Jesus is God, um, had an eagle on it which is a native american symbol no i'm kidding (laughs) okay anyways there's human attributes that we see in jesus he had a human birth galatians 4 4 says when the fullness of the time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law there was a a perfect time when the fullness of the time had come and it was 40 weeks of pregnancy at least okay uh, but there was so much more that went into when Jesus came. In fact, Aaron has done some of the synoptic Gospels studies and stuff and saw what was going on in history there that made when Jesus came the perfect time. It looks like there's enough. I can grab one later. <laughs> um, the detailed human genealogies are especially significant. Okay? He was circumcised. This is all things that show he came in the flesh. He really walked on this earth. He really was flesh. He had a mother and he had siblings. There was human growth in his life. Luke 20, 40 and 252, Jesus developed as a normal human child increasing intellectually, physically, socially, and spiritually. Isn't that a, an incredible thought? Jesus as a little boy, I mean, Jesus as a baby, we just thought a lot about that at Christmas, and as a little boy, you know, after eight days, he went in and got circumcised, and, uh, you know, growing up, and 12 years old when he got left behind at the temple, or he stuck behind to reason with the, uh, the, the you know, the scribes and the lawyers there, um, Yeah. 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 And you just see, you know, growing up as a kid, I mean, those Jewish kids, man, they're memorizing stuff. They're thinkers. They're, you know, blow us out of the water for sure. Um, <clears throat> he had a human nature, uh, had a body It could be seen, touched, anointed, spoken to. He communicated and reasoned and traveled by foot and boat and donkey. He had a body that could be killed. He had a soul or a spirit. Jesus could be grieved in his soul. He commends his spirit to the Father from the cross, commends. He had human frailties. Hunger, thirst, sweat, pain. He bled. He sweated blood which by the way doctors looked at and and see that in times of great stress you can break your capillaries causing uh, your your sweat to be mingled with blood interesting as doctors have looked at that it's an actual physical condition Um, human appearances he was recognizable as a jewish man had human relationships family siblings friendships human emotions (coughs) he wept and was sad got angry had love he had a human name or he has human names jesus he's first named jesus in matthew 121 she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua or Yeshua, meaning the Lord is salvation. Russell had a friend in kindergarten who, um, Russell would always ask people, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And he had a friend in his class who said, no, I hate Jesus. And he came home and he said, my friend Joshua said he hated Jesus. And I said, we should tell Joshua that his name means Jesus. So he did. And apparently he might have told Joshua, Don't you hate yourself because your name is Jesus? <clears throat> its usage of that name stresses at least three ideas His mission, Jesus' mission to procure salvation. The Lord is salvation, Yeshua. His historical existence in space and time. For example, he has the name Jesus of Nazareth. It's kind of his last name of the day. And his humanity, since he carried a common Hebrew name, Joshua. He has the name Christ, but it's not his last name. This is the Greek word that means Messiah, and translates the Hebrew word for anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Messiah, or in Hebrew, Yeshua Mashiach. Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah. This title certainly has divine implications, like John 20, 31, where Christ and the Son of God are placed parallel to one another. It is also understood as a human title, the Christ was to be born the Son of David, Matthew 22, 42. He has the title of the Son of Man. This was Jesus' preferred title for himself, used some 70 times in the Gospels. Son of Man's statements uh, 88 times in the New Testament. In Revelation 1, 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Son of man is a reference of the Messiah that we see in Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient of days. So we see two people of the Trinity here, He came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So a prophecy, even a future prophecy uh, from today of, uh, out of Daniel. When Jesus called himself the Son of Man, the Jews knew that he was calling himself the Messiah. Son of man is a reference to his actual humanity. God called the prophet Ezekiel son of man 93 times. God was simply calling Ezekiel a human being. Son of man is used in at least four different ways to describe Jesus' humanity. Remember Jesus says the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's describing Jesus and his suffering and death. The Son of Man is going to betray, be betrayed into the hands of men. Of Jesus' deity, John 1, 51, angels descending and ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Of Gina's, Gina's <laughs> you think it's hard to listen to this? Try saying it all. Of Jesus' final exaltation. No, I'm, it's worse to listen to it, I'm sure. <laughs> son of Man speaks of Jesus' final exaltation for the Son of Man is going to come In his father's glory with the angels. Son of David is another name. This shows that he is royal and human lineage. And the Jews knew that. Man of sorrow is another name for Jesus. It emphasizes his ability to suffer as a man. He's known as the carpenter's son. If only Chad were here tonight. Describes his, humanity, uh, his human family relationship and occupation. This is about humanity here. He's called the Branch of Jesse, which alludes to the Old Testament prophecy about his royal ancestry, Jesse. You've got to start calling Gage and Colton that Branch of Jesse. Finally, Jesus had a human death. The purpose and necessity of Christ's humanity, almost done. In his life, it's the revelation of the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus was the visible representation of the Father. If one sees Jesus, it was not necessary to see the Father. He also revealed the Father by the term Abba. Suggesting an intimacy with God that was unprecedented in Judaism. Jesus' life brought the provision of an example of godly living. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So the fact that he came and lived the life of a man on earth, he gives us an example to follow. Christ exemplifies how to handle satanic temptation with God's word the urgency of prayer with the father and how to respond righteously to unjust persecution. Jesus's life brings about the confirmation of God's promises. Just the fact that Jesus came in the flesh fulfills many Old Testament promises. Jesus was to come as a child, be born of a virgin, emerge from Bethlehem and be a shepherd and ruler from Judah in the Davidic kingly line. In his death, brings about the redemption of sinners. Sin required a payment and Jesus came to redeem, which means literally to pay the ransom price for sinners. In order to make that payment, he had to die. Since God cannot die, Jesus had to become a man. The judgment of Satan and his angels is is brought about because of his death. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Matthew 16, 14 through 16, some said, Hey, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In John 6, 68 through 69, Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And John 8, 24 says, unless you believe that I am, you will perish in your sins. The end of the book of John, which has the theme of Jesus is God, concludes with this. All of these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. What's that mean? He's anointed, which means what? He's the Messiah, the Messiah. You might believe that Jesus is the anointed. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. There's no life apart from that. There's no life apart from that. And that's why it's important that we hold the truth, the doctrine of the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we just worship you. Um, Lord, we worship uh, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord we just want to be champions of truth we want to own truth we realize it's important we thank you jesus for becoming flesh and dwelling among us uh, and living an obedient life as an example and dying a death to atone for our sins Lord would you just continue to grow us in this in the depths of understanding of um, just who you are god we just worship you in jesus name amen